Hey there, welcome to MedTech Africa, the podcast where we showcase digital health and health technology innovations from across Africa. My name is Sam Oti, and I'm your host. On today's episode, we have Dr. Mosoka Fala as our guest. Dr. Fala is a public health expert who has been at the forefront of fighting disease outbreaks in Africa. For example, during the devastating Ebola outbreak in West Africa back in 2013, Dr. Fala was in the front lines mobilizing local communities in Liberia to bring that outbreak under control. At present, Dr. Fala is a program manager at the Africa CDC and we'll be talking about a $1.5 billion initiative that he leads known as the Saving Lives and Livelihoods Initiative, which is a partnership between Africa CDC and the MasterCard Foundation. This is going to be such a great and insightful conversation. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Dr. Fala. Welcome to MedTech Africa. How are you doing today? I'm doing extremely well. We're a great day on the Friday in Addis Ababa. Wow, it's been a while since we last uh, connected. I think it was during that um, uh, webinar on uh, COVID-19 and vaccines uh, that uh, the organization I work for was hosting. So it's great to hear your voice uh, and good to know that you're now at the Africa CDC doing great things. Uh, And one of the great things that you're doing is exactly what we'll be talking about today. uh, And that is an initiative known as the Saving Lives and Livelihoods Initiative, which is a partnership between Africa CDC and the MasterCard Foundation. So why don't we start by you telling us about this initiative and what it seeks to achieve? Uh, Thank you very much. So the Saving Lives and Livelihoods, as it entails, is a a big framework. So uh, I remember one time uh, we had a meeting with Rita, the president of the MasterCard Foundation. And she said that Africa was at a crossroad that was not only affecting the health security of the continent, but also the mission of the MasterCard Foundation. As you know, the MasterCard Foundation have two, two major uh, co-components of its uh, mission, uh, youth economic inclusion and education of the youth. But COVID-19 had come and was disrupting that. And so they realized that in order for them to fulfill their mission in Africa, there was a need to provide health security. And they looked across the continent and realized that Africa CDC was providing the leadership for the continent in creating the needed need health security. Africa CDC at the time was providing reagents, training laboratory technicians, convening, co-convening all of the, the, the ministers of health. And they, they realized that, oh, this, this premier continental organization is very strategic in helping us to create the health security that we need in order for us to control our mission of educate, for educating the youth and youth inclusion. And so this idea of saving lives and livelihood was initiated so that we can have health security by providing vaccines. So essentially, it was a partnership between the MasterCard Foundation and Africa CDC involving an investment of $1.5 billion, one of the biggest investments from a foundation to a young organization, the Africa CDC. And so that was basically the goal of the saving lives and livelihood um, to be able to provide vaccines. As you know, it was a trying time for Africa. Yeah, vaccine nationalism on the rise. Africa was not getting vaccines. So when the primary goal was to procure around 65 million doses of vaccines, Africa cities had ambition wanted to vaccinate 70% of the population at the time. 
Sovereignizer has shown that we could create a herd immunity, we could protect the population over the 70%, and that would give us the lives to be protected by protecting the lives from the, 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 the ravage of, of, of COVID. We'd be able to create the, the health security that would then lead to livelihood. And so that, that, uh, that partnership was formed with this 1.5 billion to produce 65 million doses of vaccines, but to create a mechanism to support the vaccination of 70% of the population of Africa through multiple partnerships. Different groups will be involved. Vaccines that will come on the continent will be used to get them in the arms of the African. No, that is that is really amazing. I think the whole world needs to realize this, right? That there can be no livelihoods if there are no lives uh, to begin with. And hence, we need to invest in saving lives. Uh, and so it's good to see that MasterCard Foundation and Africa CDC have come to this realization and are doing something uh, about it. So let us move into the nitty gritty, so to say. What are the specific focus areas of this initiative? So the SLL or the Saving Lives and Livelihood, as a framework, as a construct, um, as an initiative, they want to look at the immediate and the long term. That's what makes the SLL a little bit unique. One, okay, we first step one, we wanted to procure the 65 million doses of vaccines to fill the gap so that countries can have the vaccines. That was step one. The second step of that was there were other donations, multilateral donations started, like the COVAX platform, there were bilateral donations. We wanted to support nations. Whatever vaccines you got, the goal was to have those vaccines in the arms of the people. In fact, the way Africa CDC will say this, as a second focus area was all the vaccines on the continent, no matter how who the donor was, was belong to Africa CDC. And our second focus was to ensure that these vaccines got in the arms of people. That was the second focus. The third focus we realized that, and this more futuristic, was the fact that uh, Africa was disadvantaged when it came to vaccine, vaccine manufacturing space. We depended on foreign vaccines, 99% of all vaccines were used on the continent. So the third portion was beginning to drive local vaccine manufacturing, create the environment, the development of the talent that, that would drive vaccination manufacturing on the continent. What that would mean that unless COVID in the future, in the next pandemic, at least Africa will be able to have the means and the mechanism to manufacture vaccines. That was a tail focus. And finally, the goal was Africa CDC should be left better for the next pandemic. So finally, the full focus was to ensure that we build the capacity of Africa CDC. So it's a most strengthened, robust uh, continental organization that will be ready for the next pandemic. So these are the four major heroes. The procurement of the vaccines, ensuring that vaccines are distributed no matter the source of the donation to the member state. The third piece, begin to lay the groundwork of local vaccine manufacturing, and finally, strengthen Africa CDC as a continental organization to lead the next pandemic. Great. I, th I think that is a very clear and four very important components. But Africa is a massive continent. I think we are over a billion people. So how will the Africa CDC determine which countries and populations to support uh, under this initiative? So there are 55 member states on the continent within the context of the African Union, like you said, currently 1.3 billion. So it's a policy act. And one of our principles was inclusivity and equity. We want to balance inclusion and equity. In order to do that, we came up with a very um, practical solution. This intervention, so there were seven major interventions, procurement of vaccines, distribution of the vaccines, uh, helping to provide risk communication. 
Within those certain interventions, we need to test all the countries that constitute the African Union. And but the, the resources were not infinite. There was a finite amount of resources. So the third process was the distribution will be based on the population of the country and the per capita. So so all countries will benefit, but the amount, the total actual amount of a country will get will be based on these two factors, the population and the per capita income. So that's what we did. And so we balance equity. So every country gets the, gets it, but then the, the size of the population, based on the need, based on the population size, they will receive the amount of resources. So using the two criteria, equity and inclusion, we were able and we were able to engage, set the stage for engaging all 55 member states. And as I speak to you, we've engaged 54 of the 55 member states to different channels. We have developed macro PM for 38 of them um, before the division leads the pronouncement to reclassify uh, COVID as a popular uh, emergency or international concern to a popular health threat we were implemented in 28 countries. So the goal has been to implement in all 55 countries, but they will be very short in the amount of resources based on their population their per capita. That is very clear. And you see exactly why uh, local interventions and local solutions are needed uh, to local problems because you put an emphasis on equity and inclusion, unlike what happened on the global scale when these vaccines became initially available. The, the rich countries hoarded them for themselves. But here is the Africa CDC showing the world how to do it uh, right. So, of course, um, people would wonder, why do we need another initiative? There are quite a number of vaccine initiatives and perhaps organizations. We have the likes of Gavi. Uh, there was the COVAX facility. Most countries have their own national immunization programs. So in what way will your initiative complement these uh, existing uh, initiatives on the ground? There are several realities we have to appreciate as Africa CDC one. 1.5 billion may sound like a lot of money, but by the time you look at seven different interventions, now in total, 55 member states, you distribute them. That's not a lot of money. So what that means, we will not be able to solve all the problems on the SLL initiative. So therefore, we want to identify a strategic point that we could complement what, what others were doing, like the Gavi. So we felt that since this is a vaccination program, we want to focus on the uh, expanded program on immunization, EPR program. We felt that we could strengthen, we could put the greatest investment on the coaching. We have invested so much in coaching, almost out in the two around um, $35 million for the 4,000 worth of coaching material for member state. What that would do, you know, you needed the vaccine to be on a, uh, a de environmental condition so they do not expire. So we had to invest in coaching, the coaching system, to complement that era. And the long term, Benefit of that has been calculated as over 10 years. That was one. The other part was that the investing was the data system. In many countries, we supported the, the, the vaccine team, the country's team, with uh, laptops, uh, tablets, one is supporting the data system to support the EPR program. But we took a step further. Say, in the long run, we do know that when we speak about EPR, we think about honor five children going to clinic with their models. But it's becoming more and more apparent that adult vaccines, the HPV, is going to come up like the COVID that, that targets adults and young people. So now this new concept of the national program of immunization, looking at the whole left pools of vaccines. We've invested into that. We integrate into those systems, ensuring that we complement the other resources. And even our in-country logistics system, where we are moving vaccines, we don't say 
the vaccine, we are exclusively going to move COVID vaccines. We will move vaccines. Let's say Gavi has supported miso in the DRC, miso vaccine for children. We've done it in the DRC in Ethiopia, for instance. We move the vaccine together as a holistic point. And now say, okay, we're going in there only with COVID vaccines. No. So we try to complement the coaching, the in-country logistics, even the data system. For example, we invested heavily to revamp the DJI system in Ethiopia, for instance. So the whole system was better. And we are complementing existing partners in, say, for example, Ethiopia, that are involved in the whole spectrum of the, the data system for all other vaccines. So basically, I will go about the complement or incomplement one of the WUI areas that we put. We have the comparative advantage and, and do the greatest good for the member states. Got it. So, so I mean, that, that is all uh, very, very impressive and good to see that uh, you're keeping in mind the importance of integrating and, and complementing some of the initiatives uh, that are on the ground. Uh, and my next question now is more about uh, impacts and, uh, and achievements. And I know you've already mentioned some of them. So maybe you could just go over what are the key achievements that uh, the initiative has had so far uh, in the first instance? Uh, and what kind of impacts do you anticipate uh, in the coming years? So the other impacts make some of them will have immediate effect, some of them will have long-term effect. One of them, of course, may align with the MasterCard Foundation vision for uh, economic empowerment. Everything involving health, healthcare worker empowerment. Over 8,000 year workers have been recruited, trained across the continent in different and different aspects. A good number of that are uh, the young people and female. We ensure that we invest in the health workforce, training and recruitment, and putting dollar amount in their pockets. We also work towards health system strengthening. Like we expect, I explained to you, strengthening the immunization program, strengthening the, strengthening the coaching system, that support the supply chain system for this member state, we invested in that. One thing we realized that was needed on the continent was that um, our follow of vigilance, that is, address is very friendly immunization. We don't have a strong immunization problem on the continent. They are all divided and in silos. As a matter of fact, coincident was the, the cough syrup in Gambia, in the Gambia, where it took several children died before they picked up. So we realized that we want to invest in the pharmacovigilance system help continue to strengthen selected control with pharmacovigilance, helping them to have the system, the training in place to be able to track new vaccines, new treatment accounts in country, and being able to develop that. Currently, we went through an implementing partner for sorting in Eastern Africa, and now we are going to be working in countries in West, Central, and North Africa, building a strong system, working with the Ministry of Health, working with the pharmacovigilance system, the National Regulatory Authority to set up a robust pharmacovigilance system. The last uh, in, uh, impact analysis that the issue did, the benchmarking from zero to three, there were only three countries on the entire country that had a score of three. The rest of the country were around zero. So we are trying to set up a long-term goal that they will see more countries coming on board, developing a strong pharmacovigilance system, a strong data system. They say you cannot, you cannot intervene for something you cannot measure. Until we have a good data system to measure our intervention or health intervention will be a challenge. We are working with a group in South Africa, called South Africa, to set up the DHIS2 system for multiple countries so that we can build up access to data. Continental data is in in predicting the next outbreak. As I explained to you before, the coaching, the coaching investment, we have a lot of countries online. We've done the uh, identification of country need. We are going to invest in, in, in investing, coaching, 
from from fridge to cool rooms to one or two country refrigeration truck to strengthen the coaching system on the continent. Um, we are also trying to see how we can identify the true number of healthcare workers on the continent. That's a new case we want to work on it. Where they are, how we give we'll make estimate, we'll make assumption. We say that three uh, percent of the population, the healthcare workers, will want to do a real assessment of the healthcare workers and their work to support them. We also try to work towards protecting these healthcare workers going beyond COVID. This is one of the biggest initiatives we are trying to do, going beyond COVID, because every time there's an outbreak, I'm from Liberia, we know how many healthcare workers died and left their widows and orphans. So we're trying to also protect them against all of us in the pool, cholera, meningitis, yellow fever, we call them state. We also going to invest heavily in infection protection and control. I mean, every time there's an outbreak, the people who die the most, the healthcare workers, so it is the, the, the culture, the system, and the logistics, they need to protect themselves from infection. Most of the time, are either inadequate or non-existent. We're trying to invest in that. Um, it is interesting to note, another area we're investing is, is genomic sequencing. We all determine the stream of a, of, a, of a particular pathogen. The entire Africa, the, the amount of data we've been generating is far less than UK alone, you must imagine. So now we've invested in developing helping investing in countries, in centers, to develop the ability to do genomic sequencing. So we don't have to send samples of South Africa. When we first had the initiative, we only in two countries, but now we've invested in 34 labs. And more and more labs are going to receive the genomic sequencing equipment. They're going to receive reagents. Even last week, a team came to Addis Ababa for training bioinformatics. How to manage the huge data across the continent. How to have quality data. We also trying to build the issue of Risk, risk communication, community engagement, working across multiple countries will be helping to do that. Um, so this is the area we are trying to invest in, the risk communication, the, the genomics. That alone, if we can help Africa to rise up, to have genomic sequencing capacity in countries, it's going to help us to be able to rapidly diagnose the next threat that is in the canon that is going to come. And then we don't have to wait and we don't have to lose time. And at the same time, affect us by losing lives. So these are heroes that we are investing that have immediate impact, and some of them will have long-term impact. And I said to you that the calculation has been done by the head of economists have said that our investment in coaching, the return will last for 10 years. Very, very impressive uh, impact so far and, and also uh, intentions uh, as well and ambitious intentions as well. Uh, and allow me to digress a bit and zoom in on, on what you mentioned about uh, the health workforce and how you're trying to strengthen their capacity. I know that uh, a number of countries in the West are aggressively uh, recruiting health workers uh, from Africa, from the global South. Perhaps this is not the mandate of the Africa CDC to intervene in that, but what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's a big challenge. This is leading to serious brain drain. Um, there are options. We can sit back and, 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 and craft how or we can see what are the factors that are, that are, that are pulling them away from here to the place. We do know issue like uh, benefits, we know issue like good work environment, issue like the, the human development. And so some of our activities involve trying to develop the capacity of the healthcare workforce. Even the, the sense of vulnerability. If they ever go see their colleagues dying, the sense of vulnerability drives them out of fear. So that's why you see us trying to focus on the health workers' protection. If they know they have protection that cause virus or pathogens, that they can protect themselves and come back to their family and lives. Those are all incentives that keep people working. 
and like and keep people stay in their country. Like we also said, we invest in, in many countries. We work through the ministries to work with the health workers system, the health workers providing training. You know, I said it was done in the U.S. They realized that money was not everything. You know, but recognition and other benefits play a key role in retaining staff. So we cannot solve the problem with continent, but what? At least we are going to establish how many health workers are on the continent, where they are, and we want to create an environment that will protect them. You know, giving them vaccines, investing in RPC, providing some training for them. These are things that are enabling the environment that they help them to see that, oh no, we are not neglected. You know, we are protected, we are careful. And we, but doing that, we hope to, to, to indeed help to uh, retain the staff. And more besides, we engage with multiple partners across the continent to be able to say, okay, now we're looking at the healthcare workers. This is what we invest invested in. How can other partners come and leverage uh, uh, creating an enabling environment that will help to retain the staff on the continent? Very well said. I think that's that's exactly the crux of the matter to create that enabling uh, enabling environment uh, that will motivate, incentivize, and keep the health workforce uh, on the continent. Um, but of course, I'm sure that uh, there are many things that are keeping you up at night, so to say, as you implement this initiative. So, what obstacles are standing in your way, and how are you overcoming them? One of the things we realize. Um, some of that, there are several factors. One of the major ones we realize is hesitancy, vaccine hesitancy. And we do know that there are several factors for this. For example, we know that when Africans get the vaccine, most did not come on time. And people's perception of the risks and vulnerability to the COVID has gone down to some extent. They feel themselves protected. We also realize that there is an, uh, there is an economic aspect. The access to the vaccine, if a moral has to make a choice, between um, taking their children or going to get vaccinated versus going to the market to sell, they make those choices. We know that there are issues with uh, infrastructure, and we know for many times vaccine cannot go further because of the lack of uh, coaching to manage their infrastructure. Where in Burundi, recent time, and most of the countries spoke about the lack of adequate infection prevention control and what point are these clinics, at their clinics. And so, uh, Political will always realize political will is a key thing. Um, you have to have the political will to do that. Um, but how do we address this? In recent times, what we've done in terms of the vaccine hesitancy, we conducted some surveys, some knowledge, attitude, and practice surveys among the population in multiple countries. We also conducted surveys among healthcare workers and understand what are some of the reasons that are leading to the hesitancy of the vaccines. And we realized knowledge gap was very important. We also realized that uh, making the vaccine, taking the vaccine to where the people are, making the vaccine more accessible to where the people are is very, very critical. Uh, ensuring that uh, if there's any adverse effect, quickly identifying these adverse effects and providing education to the population was very important. Engaging the country at the highest level to get a political buying was critical. We realized that. We also realized that infection prevention control measure was critical. And so we're investing. A huge portion of our investment is actually building the capacity and providing RPC materials for these countries. We are investing in them through our, our, our partners. Um, so these are the area we are working in. We identify the political will. Infrastructure is an issue. So that's how we see we are investing in the coaching. We also realize accessibility is an issue in many countries. They don't have access. So a huge portion of our investment also 
is being able to move the vaccine in country on what we call in country logistics. We were working with UNICEF and WFP in countries in conflict or that have challenging environmental calamity like flood. We brought in WFP to be able to bridge as a panel of last resort. So these are all factor assets. And so we brought this partner that have the, the know-how to be able to move the vaccine, no matter the condition of the environment or the roads, taking the vaccines of the people, and then most importantly, getting the political will of the leadership of the countries. We've done that. We also did one, um, uh, one, one very clever engagement to allow us to build political will. We were able to recruit former ministers of health from many of our, from some of our African countries, like the Minister of Health of Nigeria, Professor Adiwole, the Minister of Health of Angola and former regional director of the issue, we brought in together, like Dr. Campbell from Minister of Health of Namibia, as our face and as our champion to build political will. So these were retained by us, the trial and we give member state countries to build political will. And then in terms of the hesitancy, we are working to find education investment in ROCC that is driven by research. We have a whole team from Mercury University, the Infectious Disease Institute that does research to look at enablers and barriers to vaccines. And we take those findings from the research and we translate them to action, working also with our behavioral scientists on the hesitancy issue. And explain the access issue, we have the appropriate partner that can be able to provide vaccine to, to take the vaccine to the people in spite of the condition or the weather condition or the environment. So these are the ways that we are overcoming these barriers. Very, very impressive. And, and, um, um, but, uh, and the issue of vaccine hesitancy really struck a nerve because we saw what happened uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of people were skeptical. And part of it was even due to misinformation, loss of inf uh, wrong information out there about uh, what the vaccine can do or, or not do. So it, it's good to see that and to hear that you're taking on this challenge uh, head on. And as much as I appreciate initiatives such as this one, one thing I've worried about and learning from the, the HIV and AIDS response is that um, a lot of times these vertical programs, they come in, they do a great job, but they don't necessarily have a health systems strengthening approach. And so they leave the health system just the way they found them, especially in, in uh, the developing world where the health systems are generally weak, or in sometimes they even worsen the situation of the health systems. So how can you uh, assure people like me uh, that this initiative is not just going to create another vertical program that is well-funded uh, and that neglects uh, health system strengthening? Uh, as far back as in February of this year, we met in Nairobi, and one of the major crux of our meeting was to look at integration. We, we, we conceived that if we're going to avoid a pitfall of uh, vertical, vertical loss in the program, and the detriment of the health system after the, the, the pandemic, we took a step back and said, how can we use the resources, the momentum, the equipment that we have to strengthen the health system, to build a primary health care system? And the conclusion we drew was basically to do integration. So we will see us as we go forward. Initially, we started, for example, we built these vaccine centers we call personal drums. We built this temporary shelter, but going forward, we concluded that no. Let's analyze what the countries have in terms of their EPR, their expanded program on immunization, NPR program, and let's leverage those infrastructure and build in, and build in those structures. So we are going to integrate across all of this, all of the all of our intervention. What does the country have? How do we integrate within that? Example, we're not going to set aside 
collect the digital dollar press. Okay, these results, these coaching are exclusively uh, COVID-19. No, they are going to be put within the, the EPR centers, within the, the warehouses and storage, and, and all vaccines can be stored there, make it better. Um, when we try to move vaccines, we're not going to move COVID vaccines, and we are going to make sure all vaccines are going to be moved because we know that access rules sometimes Africa can be a challenge. Accessibility to remote areas can be a challenge. So when we are moving vaccines either to our trucks or to any means that we have to our partners, we ensure we move them other vaccines. And so the culture is built from the get-go that we are working to support the health system. In countries like our Tanzania, Tazania, which are other places, we work, we invest in the, putting the vaccine center within the existing health facility. Somebody coming for family planning, for someone coming for a special last treatment. You get their treatment, but you go ahead and get the vaccine. So basically, the resources of what we are investing for COVID, strengthening the health system, strengthening the primary healthcare system. And so we need to become a very smooth transition. That's what we are doing. We are working now, strongly trying to integrate all levels, ensuring that the human capacity that is built is for the health, is for the health system, the investment logistics for the health system. We are no more going to be building standalone vaccination centers, but these are going to be more within the health system so that they will, we will use the same persons, we we'll use the same staff, we we'll even as we issue our paying staff, we we'll ensure that no, we don't just pay staff, but if it's incentive, but we want to make sure that even when, we, when the project ends in a year or two down the line, it's a normal system, it's a smooth transition. So we have been very concerned with that to avoid a vertical system. That's why we are pushing strongly and we are committed to integration. That is beautiful music to, to my ears. Very important for us to keep integration front and center. Uh, and I guess that's a great segue to my next question about how you are integrating digital technologies into this initiative. This, this podcast uh, is all about digital health and health uh, technology. Uh, and I know that the Africa CDC has uh, its own uh, digital transformation strategy, which it launched uh, a couple of uh, months ago. And in fact, I hosted you, the, the, your chief digital advisor, uh, Jean Philbert in Sengimana uh, on the show to talk about uh, the plans for launching that strategy. So tell me, how, how is this initiative, uh, the Saving Lives and Livelihood Initiative, integrating digital health and health technology into the programming? And I will start from where we started in terms of digitalization and moving on to the future. Um, I was in um, Kigali a few, few, few weeks ago, and as I was engaging the Ministry of Health, they were very, very, very happy and excited that we had actually invested into data technologists for them, and that we've invested in uh, tablets and and, and the laptops, and so their whole system, whole data system, was digitalized. They were saying that one of the investments you guys have already done for us, your computer electronic way by which we can we can, can capture data and transmit data, and this is not only for 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 Rwanda. Like I said, for example. In Ethiopia, we did a huge investment in strengthening the, the, the digital S2 system for data capture and, and transmission. We also invested in more resources for that. I was in Zambia and we're doing the macro planning. We, we invested in that. So from the get-go, as we're even planning the COVID-19, we're keeping the end in mind that the future for healthcare system, for efficient healthcare system, is going to be digitalization. So that's characterized our work supporting even the, the, the human resource for digitalization, the hardware for digitalization will be investing in it. Now, going forward, one of our major flagship that our DG, His Excellency Jean, is investing 
is digitalization, solarization, and connectivity at the primary healthcare level. level. Africa Citizens, the SLN initiative is engaging with UNICEF to leverage on their investment they have done, the experience they have gleaned from the educational investment in, in digitalization called EF. We are moving that. We are moving. Uh, we are moving that now to the the health system. And you saw we spoke about connectivity. The, that is one. We want to do solarization. You cannot have effective digital system if you don't have power, affordable power, and solar power. So that's, that is for the center of our, our work going forward, that not only for COVID, but using, like we said, the resources and the type of COVID to build digitalization, connectivity, and, you know, um, and solarization, being the solar energy aspect. That not only helps us with this effective surveillance system, but it helps us to measure the progress within the health system performance. So as I said, from the very beginning, we launched SLA working with countries in COVID vaccines. We're supporting software, each arrow for digitalization. Now we are moving as a holistic project in the long run for the digitalization, connectivity, and solarization across primary healthcare system on the continent. That is absolutely uh, amazing. And I'm really looking forward uh, to, to that because I think I saw a report published by WHO and the World Bank uh, that says, I think it's around 60% of health facilities that uh, do not have sufficient access, for example, to, to electricity. Uh, and of course, there's no way we can digitally transform uh, those our health systems uh, without, uh, without electricity. So uh, the interventions you talked about, like solarization, uh, I think those are all important and, and complementary. So let's end this conversation by looking into the future. I know that the Africa CDC via the Africa Union or um, under the mandate of the Africa Union uh, has uh, set an ambitious goal of manufacturing or enabling Africa to manufacture 60% of its vaccine needs uh, by the year 2040. So let's look into the future. What next for the Saving Lives and Livelihoods initiatives? How is it going to help Africa and Africans to, to meet our ambitious goals? Immediately after WHO um, declassify COVID uh, from being a PHERC to a health threat, we started working immediately to shift our, our strategy to go through a strategic shift. We met in Dada Silinda, along with the foundation, Africa CDC, and we came up with a full strategic shift that's going to guide in the future how we move. One of them was finishing the job. Finishing the job meant that we had to vaccinate the priority group because you know that COVID is not going, it's, it's still around, and the most vulnerable, vulnerable people are the, those with co-mobility, elderly and the frontline health workers. So we are committed to finishing the job, ensuring that 100% of this will get vaccinated across the continent. And as we speak now, we have a project trying to get the data of all healthcare workers that have been vaccinated, each of these three groups. So finishing the job for the healthcare workers and the priority group, ensuring that they get vaccinated. So you see a, a heavy momentum starting November, December, going is, is going to be focused from a broad 70% to a lesser sharp intervention. So our first goal for the future is finishing the job ensuring that we document how many persons are being vaccinated among the three priority group, vaccinate all of them, and also even push for the, the, the booster to ensure that, like we said, from our original intention, saving lives so that we can save livelihoods. And so finishing the job is our first critical intervention going forward. The second one is, of course, as I said to you, integrating our COVID system into the public health and the primary health care system. We want to see that 
believe without a vertical program for a stronger, more holistic health system. So you see, all of our attention is going to be integrating with the national program and immunization, whether it's investing in the coaching, as we said, investing in the digitalization, ensuring that they are, uh, ensuring that even the protective equipment we are buying, the PPE, they are available to the member state to do that. The third part, which is, like you said, is very important, is preparing for the next pandemic. You know, they say there's something we do in global health. There is the period of shock, and then there's a period of forgetfulness. We go into shock when there's an epidemic, and then we forget, and then the next pandemic hit us, we then go back to shock. That's cycle control. But we, Africa CDC, you see the SLF trying to think differently. So we have this new framework of PPPR, Pandemic Preparedness, Prevention and Response. Preparing for the next pandemic is our third objective. One on that, like you said, is the vaccine manufacturing, that we are expanding beyond vaccine manufacturing to diagnostics and therapeutics. Before you get able to give someone vaccine, you must be the family to diagnose, you know, provide some treatment. So we're trying to expand that and support that. So we're investing in that. The third piece, the second piece under the next pandemic is that we are investing in genomic sequencing and laboratory system support. We want to see better supported laboratory system across the continent to be able to diagnose the disease at the point of the outbreak. And now we're going to send samples outside. Closely related to that is that we are working hard to strengthen the national public institutes. We clearly have evidence to show that countries that have stronger national public institutes have a robust system for early warning and responding. So on preparing for preparing for the next pandemic, we are working towards manufacturing of vaccines, diagnostics, and therapeutics. We are investing in genomic sequencing and laboratory. There, we are trying to invest in the National Public Health Institutes in those countries. We know that there are 23 countries that have fully functional public health institutes. 19 of them are in, in the process. 15 have the intention. One of our major goals is to invest and bring stronger public health, national public health institutes. Because our, our means of entry into each country is through the Public Institute. We met in Burundi with all of the countries in Central Africa to just look at the issue of how do we invest in the National Public Institute to make them stronger because they are going to be the institute shown that we want to detect the disease and respond before uh, an outbreak becomes an epidemic or a pandemic. That's the third piece. We're also moving now on the SLL to put push on the ground in all the countries. We are putting national coordinators in the countries. We are sending epidemiologists to all the countries. Many times when the time passed, Africa CDC, we ran this operation from the headquarters in Tarek. But our whole thing is going to change with the support of SLL to put boots on the ground, to build the human capacity of the people on the ground, support our institution, the laboratory system, to be able to find the disease ahead of time and respond quickly. That's the third piece we couldn't. And finally, the fourth piece is strengthening Africa CDC itself to be a viable, robust, agile, nimble institution that can be able to mobilize, co-convene the continent and respond. So in the future, we want to finish the job. We want to see that our vulnerable population are protected, our frontline health workers protected. We want to see integration fully operational. So we have a stronger, robust health system and primary health care system, including the national program immunization, we want to prepare for the next pandemic by investing in genomic sequencing and laboratory system, by investing in manufacturing, by investing in human capacity on the brand to build a stronger 
health workforce, and finally to see that African citizens is a strong entity. Those are our aspirations for the future and for the continent of Africa. Well, there you have it, folks. The future of Africa looks bright as far as public health is concerned, thanks to the Saving Lives and Livelihoods Initiative and to the efforts of the Africa CDC. Dr. Fala, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for making the time. I know you are a very, very busy person and it's such an honor to have you on the show. And look, Let's keep in touch. I'd like to learn about how this initiative continues to to develop uh, and perhaps maybe host you on the podcast again, maybe in a, a year or two from now. So thank you so much for making the time and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. And thanks to all of our colleagues that made this possible. We go on the, the director, all of our colleagues in the background, the Shumler from the Foundation. Thanks to you too. It's a great honor. I hope we will link up very soon. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. MedTech Africa is produced and hosted by Sam Oti and co-edited by yours truly, Veronica Sander Ochiambo. The goal of MedTech Africa is to provide a platform for showcasing digital health and health tech innovations across the African continent. Please reach out to us if you have any thoughts on this episode or recommendations of African health innovators that you'd like us to host on the show. You can find our contact details in the episode show notes. Finally, be sure to subscribe to MedTech Africa on your preferred podcast platform. And if you have a moment, please leave us a great review because it really helps other people to find the show. Thanks again for listening and we hope you join us in our next episode.